Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week, Bahar. Check out all of our programs for this summer at our website. That's www.pardes.org.il. No matter where you are in your Jewish journey, we have a great program this summer for you. So please make some plans, come to Jerusalem, and you'll have a great time. This week, Bahar with Rabbi Meir Schweiger. Rabbi Meir Schweiger is a senior member of the Pardes faculty and also serves as the Pardes Mashkiach Ruchani, spiritual guide for Pardes. And now, Rabbi Meir Schweiger. Thank you, Larry. This week's parsha is Parshat Bahar. In our opening section, we are given the laws of the sabbatical year and of the jubilee year. In previous podcasts, I have examined the laws and the ideas of the sabbatical year. Today, I would like to look at the jubilee year. So let us begin with chapter 25, verse 8. The first thing which you are told about the jubilee year is the need to count seven sabbatical years for a total of 49 years. Interestingly, this counting of the sabbatical years is parallel to what we had in last week's parsha, which is the counting of the seven Sabbaths between the holiday of Pesach and the holiday of Shavuot. And I will come back to this point later on in the podcast. After we count the 49 years, and I would like to add, it says, you shall count in the singular which is understood by the rabbis as referring to the Beitin, to the high court. Nachmanides, in fact, is undecided as to whether there is an actual obligation to count each year, he even says with a blessing, or whether simply the idea is to keep track so that we know when the Jubilee year will actually happen. Personally, I am inclined to think simply on the Pshat level, that because of the parallel that we have to the counting of the Omer, that here we are talking about an actual counting that is done, albeit by the high court. In any event, what we're told in the next verse, in verse 9, is in effect that we are to blow the shofar in the seventh month, on the tenth of the month, on Yom Kippur, throughout the land. In verse 10, we're told about sanctifying the 50th year. And once again, if I go by what is known as the pshat, the simple meaning of the text, it might seem that the way that I sanctify the year is through the medium of the shofar, which is mentioned in verse 9. The sounding of the shofar sanctifies the land, is the signal proclaiming this year as being a holy year. And I would say <clears throat> that the, sancti- the sanctification of the land has two ramifications. The first, which is mentioned in the continuation of verse 10, you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land. The second, which is mentioned in verse 11, are the prohibitions of work related to the land, not planting, not harvesting. So let us actually begin with the second one. We're told that in the Jubilee year, we don't plant, we don't harvest. And in that sense, the Jubilee year is similar to what we find by the sabbatical year. If we go back 
to verse 4, verses 4 and 5. In verse 4 it says, Do not plant in your field. Do not prune your vineyard. Do not harvest <clears throat> excuse me, those things which sfiach, which grow on their own. And in fact, the rabbis say that all of the laws which apply to a sabbatical year apply to a jubilee year as well. On a fundamental level, the sanctification of the jubilee year is reflected in the prohibitions of working the land. And as we've mentioned in a previous podcast, in the same way that the sanctity of Shabbat, the Sabbath day, is reflected in the prohibition of work which we have on the Sabbath day, and in fact, according to the rabbinic understanding, the idea of sanctification is related to separation, to differentiation. The Sabbath day is not like the rest of the days of the week. During the rest of the days of the week, we are engaged in creative work on the Sabbath. We stop. So too is the sabbatical year, a Sabbath, a Sabbath relative to the land. All types of working of the land, which is done to maximize the productivity of the land are prohibited to be done. And that same idea is true in the Jubilee year. Something which struck me is that we speak about sanctifying the Jubilee year, but we don't actually speak about sanctifying the sabbatical year. And given what I'm saying, it would have been very, very logical to speak about sanctifying the sabbatical year similar to what we say by Shabbat, by the Sabbath day. Sanctify the Shabbat. Perhaps what we see over here is that the Jubilee year becomes the most intense form of the sabbatical year so that we will actually speak about sanctifying it. But now I would like to say something with, with regard to this idea of abstaining from working the land. On the Sabbath day, a major idea behind abstaining from creative work is to ultimately establish the fact that God is the creator. Although we as human beings are invested with majesty, our B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God, and as I've discussed in other podcasts, the image of God is what gives us our human grandeur. Shabbat becomes a humbling experience. On Shabbat, we step back. On Shabbat, we step back to acknowledge that with whatever we are doing, ultimately God is the creator. And perhaps we can add to that another aspect, that by stepping back, it also makes us aware that whatever creativity we do during the course of the week is in order to be able to further God's creation, to become a partner with God in creation but a partner that is simply building on what God did. Not only maintaining it, developing it, bringing it to perhaps even another stage, but always acknowledging that we are the extensions of God. When we look at the sabbatical year, and as I said, which climaxes in the jubilee year, it is not just stepping back in terms of my creativity, in terms of my human grandeur. But what is being expressed over here is looking at my creative capacity vis-a-vis the land, the land of Israel. 
by stepping back and saying, I am not the one who will now work the land. I am not the one who ultimately is responsible for its productivity. And as is articulated in a verse later on in our section, a recognition of the fact in verse 23, the land is mine. You are sojourners on the land. Later on in the book of Dvarim, there are numerous places where the Torah warns us to not become carried away with the success of our land, to not come to the point where we develop the land, we produce, we build houses, we have tremendous abundance, tremendous affluence. And then this is chapter 8 in the book of Deuteronomy. And we then come to the cl- conclusion. It is the strength and power of my hand that has produced all of this wealth. It is not you. Ultimately, it is God. And therefore, by not working the land during a sabbatical year, but even more so, by not working the land during the Jubilee year, and perhaps now to add, both the 49th and 50th years, the seventh sabbatical year, and then the subsequent Jubilee year, we don't work the land two years in a row. That experience is intended to impress upon us that ultimately our productivity, ultimately whatever the land has to give forth is from God. Our role, as in the Sabbath day, as with respect to creation, is to be a partner with God through the work that we do to enable the land to bring forth its full bounty. And now I want to refer to the name of this year. This year is called the Jubilee, Yovel. And there was a whole discussion among commentaries, what does this name mean? And the number of commentaries speak about the word Yovel being connected with bringing forth, with movement. And on one level, what I'd like to say now is the reason why it's called Yovel is because of the idea that in this year we fully appreciate the bounty of the land, all that it has to bring forth and recognize that ultimately all of that is from God. After not working the land for two years and yet nevertheless having produce that we can still eat, we acknowledge God as the source of our bounty. This awareness, in a certain way, takes us back to the experience of the Jews in the desert when they had the manna. And once again in chapter 8 in Deuteronomy, where God says, where where Moses says to the people, the reason why God gave you manna in the desert is so that you should always acknowledge that ultimately the source of your life, the source of your existence, whatever you have to sustain you is a gift of God. So that the Jubilee year in certain ways brings us back to that formative moment in Jewish history of the Jewish people eating manna in the desert. But there is another aspect to the Jubilee year, which is unique to the Jubilee year, and that is what we had in verse 10, where it says, you shall call out, or as it says on the Liberty Bell, proclaim liberty throughout the land. And this proclaiming liberty throughout the land is expressed in two ways. Two laws that are unique 
to the Jubilee year, any land, any homestead, what's called Achuza, which was sold in the Jubilee year, goes back to its original owner. And let me elaborate. When the Jewish people enter the land of Israel, each tribe, each family, each individual within that family was given their particular homestead, their achuza. And the idea of an achuza is not only that this is a piece of land which I own, but this is a piece of land which I own in perpetuity. This is a land which should be handed down to subsequent generations. And this is why the Torah now says in the Jubilee year, anyone who sold their homestead never really sells it. The homestead essentially is being rented out, rented out for a period of maximally 49 years. But when the Jubilee comes, the homestead needs to go back to the owner. It needs to, in a certain sense, go back to that original division of the land of Israel. And then we have a second law. The second law is Hebrew slaves need to go free in the Jubilee year. If we look later on in the section, in verse 39, we have the section of a Hebrew slave. And the way it's described is that someone has become impoverished, sells themselves, and then the Torah says, do not treat them as a slave. Treat them as an employee, as a resident. They shall only work until the Jubilee year. And we've discussed this in other podcasts. All Hebrew slaves must go out in the Jubilee year. So that when the Torah says, proclaim liberty throughout the land, freedom, essentially, this is referring to the slaves going free, Hebrew slaves going free. And by the same token, it refers to a certain, what we would call liberation of the land. The land, in a certain sense, is freed, is, I will use the language, redeemed to go back to its original owner. Note the fact that the language of the verse by the Jubilee year is very unusual. In verse 10, it does not say what I just said to you right now. The land is liberated. The Hebrew slaves go free. The language of the text is that a man shall return to his homestead. A man shall return to his family. Why does the Torah use that language? The language of returning. Why doesn't the Torah simply say? And especially with the land, the land goes back to the owner. What do you mean that the owner or the, the man goes back to his land. I think that the answer to this question is very much connected with how the Torah understands this freedom, this liberation. The freedom which we're talking about is essentially not going free, but going back to where you need to be. And let me elaborate. Let's begin with the land. If this piece of land is my achuzah, this is the piece of land which God gave me when I entered the land of Israel. And I would even say it's not just a piece of land which I was given. It's a piece of land which is somehow defining for me a certain contribution which I have to make to the Jewish people. If this piece of land is something which I inherited from my father, from my grandfather, 
This piece of land is what will root me, what will connect me with my family, with my history, with my people, and ultimately with God. For me to sell this piece of land is for me to be selling an integral element of my identity, of my personality. Why would somebody do that? Well, we have a very good explanation in verse 25, in chapter 25, poverty. I have become impoverished. I am unable to sustain myself. And the way the Torah presents it, begrudgingly, I sell my land. In fact, initially, the way the Torah describes it is I sell a part of my land, which may be hinting at what should be the tremendous difficulty in parting with that land. Land, in this case, the land of Israel, is not just something which is instrumental. It is essential to my definition. Who am I? Hence, selling land is an aberration, is an irregularity. Land should not be sold. In the same way, you'll excuse the metaphor, in the same way that I would not think of selling my arm or selling organs that I have. And unfortunately today, I think, you know, this may not even be such a great example because this is what's happening, that people who become impoverished engage in selling certain organs, whether it be a kidney, in order to be able to somehow keep themselves financially viable. But that's not what I should be doing. And in effect, what the Torah is saying is, yes, it is not what you should be doing. And yes, we will not allow the sale of the land to be absolute. And yes, in the Jubilee year, you must return to your land. By returning to your land, you return to your identity, to who you are. In another podcast, I spoke about the idea of returning, being at the core of what repentance is all about. The whole idea of repentance, teshuvah, is to somehow come back to yourself, to who you need to be, to who you can be. And by the same token, this is what's happening here in the Jubilee year. Hence, it is not coincidental that this is happening on Yom Kippur, when the shofar is being sounded. The Jubilee year is very much connected with Yom Kippur, with the idea behind Yom Kippur. It is calling people to go back, go back who they need to be, restart. And I would add one other element, and perhaps once again take responsibility for whom you are. And in this context, taking responsibility means take responsibility for your land. Your land is a gift from God. Do something with it. And now to go back to the other element. Why would somebody become a Hebrew slave? They sold themselves. They sold themselves because they have perhaps tried everything else. And if you actually go from verse 25 until verse 39, you see how the Torah describes a continuous process of regression of where someone is not capable of making it. And with everything which they try to do, they still are not able to be financially sustainable. And the last recourse is to sell themselves as a slave. The whole idea of the Jubilee year is ultimately, we are not slaves to people. We are servants of God. And therefore, in the Jubilee year, go back to your family. Go back to the role that you play within that family. 
Go back to taking responsibility for your family. And as I've mentioned on other occasions, being a servant of God, rather than demeaning us, is actually empowering. What it's saying is, you have the ability to not only be financially responsible, but through that, to then cultivate a family. Through that, to make your contribution to the Jewish people. We are given the opportunity, as I said, to restart, to once again take on that responsibility. So that the idea of freedom is not just be free. It is not just the concept of what we would call letting slaves go free so that we have social equality. Social equality is not just the end. The end is social equality for the sake of enabling each and every one to maximize their human potential. I would even say to actualize their unique relationship with God, actualize their unique role within the community so that in the laws of the Jubilee year, we have this coming together of an individual, their family, the nation, God, and the land. And the Jubilee is meant to make every single individual aware of that connection on every level. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast the parallel between the counting of the 49 years, the counting of the seven sabbatical years, and the counting of the Omer. And I would like to end with this idea. In the Torah, the counting of the Omer essentially is counting from when we bring the Omer, the first harvest from barley, which is brought on the second day of Pesach, which enables us to partake of the new produce. We count from that original first offering of the new produce, 49 days, and on the 50th day, which is the holiday of Shavuot, we bring a new offering to God. What is this new offering? The first meal offering from the new wheat which has been harvested. And with that offering, we are now allowed to bring in the temple meal offerings from the new produce. So essentially, the counting of the Omer is counting from, is an agricultural celebration of the new harvest. Initially, following the agriculture of the land of Israel, the barley harvest, culminating in the beginning of the wheat harvest, two offerings which are brought, which mark this progression in the harvest. And if I want to look at this on the scale of freedom, if on the first day of Pesach, we mark the Exodus, we mark the original Seder, which the Jewish people did, even before they left Egypt, we mark those initial actions which enabled us to leave Egypt, the Exodus, The next thing which we're doing is saying, well, now we've come into the land. And as people who've come into the land, who are free, we have the means of production, of agriculture. And what do we do? We acknowledge our freedom, our ability to produce by bringing these two meal offerings as an expression of gratitude to God, as a way of acknowledging Here we are, we're harvesting, but before we partake of it, here we are, we bring it to you, God, 
to acknowledge that whatever we have produced is from you. If we think about it, being a free person should lead us to have an understanding, a profound understanding of gratitude. But there's another level to this counting, which is certainly developed in Kabbalistic, Hasidic literature. The counting is meant to create a bridge between Pesach and Shavuot. The counting is meant to perhaps bring us to self-reflection of the different qualities we need to develop. The counting is meant to make us aware of the fact that freedom is expressed not only through the exodus, not only by being brought into our land, but by giving purpose to our lives, not just by physically being free, but spiritually empowered, which culminates in the festival of Shavuot. When the Torah was given, and perhaps we should add, not only given, but also received. When the Jewish people recognized to truly be free means to ultimately understand the purpose of freedom. Our human grandeur is expressed not only in our ability to shape the world, but in our ability to shape ourselves, to transcend ourselves. As I mentioned, the Jubilee year is also articulating a similar concept. Yes, we were given the land. Yes, each of us was given our homestead. But having our homestead, having independence, is not only a privilege, but a responsibility. And what happens when we don't actualize those responsibilities? Then once again, we need to do a countdown, and we need to make adjustments, and ultimately perhaps to have a restart in the Jubilee year, all of which is for the purpose to bring us back to the awareness of who we are, not just as individuals, but who we are as the Jewish people. What type of society is it that we want to create? How the land is the vehicle by which we create this ideal society. On the one hand, the land becomes an extremely important medium for this I-thou awareness. Through my interaction with the land, I see the bounty which God brings forth, not only for me individually, but for the Jewish people collectively. Beyond that, through the medium of the land, I perhaps should have a better understanding of how each of us complements each other and needs each other and needs to support each other in order to create a mamlechet koanim v'goy kadosh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Unfortunately, we do not observe the, ju- the jubilee year today. According to the rabbinic ex- understanding, It says, you proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. And the rabbis interpreted that to mean when all of the inhabitants are on the land of Israel, the laws of the Jubilee year are in force. But once the ten tribes were exiled, we no longer have been observing the Jubilee year. For us today, perhaps reading the laws of the Jubilee year should make us even more aware of how we have a long way to go to actualizing our identity with, as a Jewish people. And perhaps one thought, in our generation, we have been profoundly blessed by being given a state of Israel, by being given the ability to be a sovereign people to, to determine our destiny. 
This is a gift which we should acknowledge and be grateful for. This podcast I am recording now, two days before Israel will be celebrating Independence Day. And although you will be hearing this after Israel Independence Day, one of the things which I am personally very aware of and express is a profound sense of gratitude for having a state of Israel. And at the same time, I recognize that we have a long way to go before we actualize this ideal vision of who we need to be. In learning about the Jubilee year, perhaps we really need to reflect upon, on the one hand, what we have been given, and on the other hand, how we don't take that for granted, and how we still need to go very far to become the people that we have the ability to be. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Rabbi Schweiger. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.